Welcome to Stick Like Glue Radio, the only podcast dedicated to helping you create your dream business so you can live the dream lifestyle that you want and deserve. Yes, success is not only possible, you deserve success. And now, welcome the dream business coach, Jim Palmer. Hello there, everybody. Welcome to another great episode of Stick Like Glue Radio, the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more. And those are great things in anybody's business. I am your host, Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach. I'm committed to helping you build a more profitable business faster. I'm also very committed to getting through this uh, show without sneezing or something. I have a heck of a cold going on, in case you can't tell. I'm very excited about this week's show. My special guest is the founder of Wagenheim Law, Elliot Wagenheim. Let me briefly introduce Elliot, and we'll bring him right on. Elliot is a speaker, a strategist, an author, educator, and business lawyer with 30 years' experience helping clients embrace rather than inhibit innovation. Through his Outlawyer platform, Elliot serves as a confidant, mentor, strategist, and sounding board for guiding entrepreneurs and organizational leaders of every size company across diverse industries. Outlawyer Elliot Wagenheim brings humor, real-world experience, and an entrepreneurial spirit to every interview. And I'll tell you, um, Elliot actually interviewed me a a week or so ago for his program. We really hit it off, and I told my team, get him on my show. You know, he's one smart cookie for, uh, I don't mean for and on lawyer. You've got to be smart to be a lawyer, but he really gets the entrepreneurial thing. Elliot, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jim. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure, and I apologize for my voice, and and I think my head is like going in spinning circles with my with my uh, cold medicine. So we'll have a little fun here today. <laughs> I feel a little bit loopy, but most of my most of my regular listeners probably won't won't be able to tell the difference. You know, well, you've you get done some of the best conversations an, that way. I know, right? You've done <laughs> such a great job. Um, I mean, you've built a wonderful law firm, and you know, I'm, I'm friends with a, with a few other attorneys who are who think. Not necessarily as an attorney, but how to grow law practice, how to how to appeal to a wider audience, and and things like that. So I really came to know you on on your show as as a you know a smart marketer and um, things like that. When did that all take place? I mean, if we go back a little ways, you obviously went to college, you went to uh, law school, and things like that. Did you come out and struggle a little bit, and then say, "Wow, I better figure out how to market my my practice," or how did that take place? Well, you know, I came out and I did exactly what I know you tell your listeners not to do. When I decided to form a law firm, I looked to my right, I looked to my left, I looked at the other lawyers and said, well, what are those guys doing? And then I formed my law firm, and Jim, that was um, that was fine. That's all it was. It was, it was fine. Um, you know, I grew, I grew by a referral and all that stuff, but I wasn't going to get anywhere that way. I was just going to tread water. Um, and I'm embarrassed to tell you that um, it really didn't hit home to me until many years later. And if I can pre- be permitted, I'll tell you a brief story on exactly how this happened. I um, it was in the uh, around the holiday season in 2009. And well, let me back up. Have you ever heard of Dean Koontz, the author? Yes. Okay, he's like Stephen King light. You know, he wouldn't describe himself that way, but he is like Stephen King light, uh, mystery, occult, and horror, etc. Well, he had this one character. I promise you I can make this relevant. He had this one character <laughs> whose mantra was, don't lie to the dog. And, and what that meant was, 
Look, people lie in everyday life, and I'm not talking about malicious lies, but you know, they'll they'll say that, yeah, I'm feeling great when when like you today, they might be a little bit under the weather, or business is going fantastic, when really inside they're worried about, well, geez, how am I going to make payroll, and and I haven't hit my goals, and I'm worried about this, or you know, no, that outfit makes you look terrific, you know, but but people do lie, but when it's just you and the dog. And the dog's not telling anybody. This character's mantra was, you know, when we ask ourselves questions, when he asked himself questions, you can't lie to the dog. you got to give completely honest answers. So anyway, so we go back to the end of the year, 2009. And like most entrepreneurs and business owners, I had set a goal for the upcoming year. And my goal, for reasons I can't even remember, was that I'm going to increase business 10%. I think I pulled that out of the air, but I'm just, whatever. I'm going to increase business 10%. And there I was. I was walking the dog. Um, no cell phone ringing. I put that in the on the island in the kitchen. Uh, nobody was asking me to do anything because I was doing something. That was one of the chores that had to be done. I was walking the dog. And I asked myself, do I have a plan to increase business 10%? Do I know how I'm going to do that? And you can't lie to the dog. And so I had to answer, no, I don't. My plan consisted of going into the office every day and crossing my fingers and hoping that the phone would ring with the right person at the other end of the line. And as you know, hope is not a strategy. And so I didn't. And so that was the point at which I decided that even for a law firm, I'm not going to look to the right and I'm not going to look to the left. I'm going to look at marketing-centric people, marketing-centric organization, and I'm going to become one of those. So that's when I started. That's really cool. I like that you don't lie to the dog because, first of all, the dog, unconditional love. But I think yes. the other, you know, the message there, and I learned this um, I learned this several years ago probably, you know, um, about being authentic. And, and, you know, I think that all revolves around the truth mm-hmm. shall set you free. So if you yeah. are just who you are, you don't have to worry about what did I tell this person or that person and blah, 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 blah. It's just like if you can just be yourself, first of all, you're going to attract more people that you're meant to be attracted to, and you're also going to repel mm-hmm. people who are, are – so it's a, real, it's a really good filter. Um, I find it also comes – I did a, a post a few weeks ago, and, and <clears throat> the, the headline was, Am I Becoming My Grandfather, Elliot? And I remember <laughs> when I was a kid – um, and I am a grandfather now, which is frightening how I used to see how old my grandfather was. But um, I used to think, wow, he says some stuff that I knew was a little off base. And But I think old people just get to say whatever they want and, and it seems okay or, or they don't care, you know. Right. And I'm mm-hmm. like, man, I just always say whatever's on my mind. Obviously, if my wife says, does this look good, I say yes. <laughs> so there may be a couple exceptions. But, you know, for the most part, you, you just – tell the truth and, and be authentic. And I think that's entirely refreshing. So, all right, so you turned this corner and obviously you've grown a tremendous practice. What were some of the first things you did to distinguish yourself from literally, probably, if not hundreds, probably thousands of other attorneys within a, you know, an hour or two drive from where you are? Well, the first thing I did was take a really objective look at my client list and figure out who I liked working with, who are my best clients. And at first that might seem really easy. Well, my best clients are the people that pay me the most money. But that's not true. 
my bet you know depending upon your business your best clients might be the people with whom you most enjoy working they could be the people that allow you to do your best work they could be the people that allow you to have the most impact on their companies or on the community whatever it happens to be um but i wanted people who allowed me to do my best work to grow to have the kind of conversations i really enjoyed to do to contribute something in other words i didn't want to be general counsel to Under Armour. That's the big company in, in my neck of the woods, Under Armour. Um, and I love the organization, but that's not who I am. And and if, and, and I'm not even saying Under Armour is interested in having me as general counsel, but if they were, I'm sure they paid me a lot of money. But that's not who I wanted to be. So I, I looked at my client list and figured out who I, I love it when the phone rings and they're the ones calling. Who are they? And then I started one by one inviting them out for coffee. And my purpose in inviting them out for coffee was not to sell them anything and not to ask them to write bigger checks to me, but to find out and just tell them, look, if I had my druthers, I'd have 10 of you. I love working with your company. I love it, working with your company. So what would make what I do better for you? Give me advice. Teach me. And and they did. I mean, those conversations were incredibly productive, and I took notes. And then, and then the roadmap was pretty easy. All right. Well, they showed me what what would appeal to them, and I looked at it and I thought, this is these things I want to do. These things maybe I'm not cut out for, but I crafted the message that I wanted to target at my best clients, and then I just had to figure out how to get them to pay attention to me. That's great. Was that, you know, one of the things I think as I've helped so many people with their marketing is there's no quick fix, right? I mean, successful businesses are built upon powerful relationships and relationships take time. Even if you think about, you know, perhaps when you met your spouse and, you know, they say sometimes love at first sight, pitter patter, I knew instantly. But if you actually said, hey, I want to marry you and I want to have kids (laughs) together, I mean, that person would run the other way, right? So there is this there's this process that we have to go through and I, I help people create websites where they, they opt in and they build lists. Well, Jim, you know, in the last 60, 90 days, I've had 200 people opt in, but I'm still not get closing business. I said, cause they barely know who you are. It's like, it's all based on yeah. that. Did you have any preconceived notions? I'm just curious, Elliot, when you started this whole process, um, was it like, okay, when's the new business going to come from this new approach or was it more just from a servant mentality, if that makes sense? No, I had I had one preconceived notion uh, that went a little farther back, and that was I knew what my best clients really came to me for. I knew what they liked about me. I knew it. But then I had a marketing guy who said, "Well, let me talk to your best clients for you, even after those coffees. Let me let me quantify it." So he did. The thing I knew wasn't in the top five. I thought they they came to me because they knew I was an excellent lawyer. No, they just assume that. They don't know what I do. They just assumed I'd take care of them. The thing that, that got them is um, I return my phone calls. And they like the responsiveness, and they like the fact that I don't talk like a lawyer. So, you know, that was my preconceived notion. As far as the sales cycle, now, I, I knew it's a long sales cycle, and I also knew that I wouldn't be able to to answer the question of what's my ROI on this blog or this uh, website or, you know, my podcast or whatever. With what I do, 
it sounds so cliche, but it's so relationship-based. People aren't going to hire me because they see, you know, my face on the side of a bus or in what used to be the yellow pages. Um, they might run scared if they did, but they're not going to hire me for that. Um, they have to get to know me. They have to think, is this the guy that I, I want to be able to call and that will help me sleep better at night if there's something really bothering me? And that that takes more than a blog article or a a good-looking website. I think those are the prices of admission, and they start to, to form that bond. But no, it's... Look, I've had people who called me and said, you know, I love what you do, and, and uh, we're really going to want to use you. We're really going to call you and all that stuff. I might get that call 18 months later. Hey, we got something that we really want to talk to you about. It's a long sales cycle. It really is. You know, when I went to school in 1977, <laughs> way back then, you know, I remember taking this marketing class, Elliot, and they said the average – um, you have to touch somebody on average, I think back then it was like 8, 10, or 12 times. I think it's probably like 36 these days, you know, with all yeah. the, the noise and confusion. But um, you're right about the long sales cycle. I remember when I got into speaking in 2010 after I wrote my first book, and um, my dad could not understand, you know, who was a great businessman, but he couldn't understand why I'm flying all over the place giving these talks and, and sometimes for free. And how come they're not paying you? How come they're not doing this? And so, because almost a year, year and a half later, I would have people that heard me at that talk uh, reach mm-hmm. out and become clients. You know, it is this, right. it is this whole process that takes place. So you never stop marketing, and and you know, but there is this. It I liken it to, and I even use like seed planting language, so to speak. It's like the farmer who prepares his field in the spring. Mm-hmm. He turns it over, fertilizes it, plants it, and then waters it slowly. So he doesn't just pour like millions of gallons. He waters it slowly, week in, week out, or day in, day out. And eventually, he's going to turn into a harvest. So it is this whole process. Um, my gosh, this clock's going fast. I, Elliot, I want to ask you about your book um, that you just came out with called Fire Aim Ready Management. Pretty pretty cool name. Tell us about that. It's uh, it's built on the um, start at the end approach, and you might recognize that from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, point number two is start with the end in mind. But generally, when I find the larger issues with running a business, management, even contracts or HR or partnership, it's not just a bullet point. You just don't have one end in mind. What you have to do is tell yourself a story. So to give you an example, um, if you really want to attract the right people, the right culture, imagine a conversation in which your rock star employee, real or fictional, whatever, but your rock star employee is talking to somebody just like her, somebody you'd also love to have on the payroll. Write that script. What is that person going to say about your company? Are they going to say, you know, other people in our industry don't give near the advancement opportunities they do, or I get a real chance to learn, or they have this benefit, or I can be part of something larger than myself, or whatever it is. Eavesdrop in your mind on that conversation, and then that's the end. Then go back to the beginning and craft your company to become fertile ground for the people that you know would really launch you. Um, So it's the same thing with with a contract. You start at the end. When somebody tells me, hey, Elliot, can you help me with this contract? I'm thinking of signing this contract, and um, 
Uh, I just want you to look it over. My first question is, tell me why you'd call me in six months after signing it, asking my help in getting you the heck out of the contract. Tell me this story. What's the nightmare? They didn't do this. They didn't perform that. These are, these are where, the points where they let me down. Okay. Well, let's build that in. Let's make sure that, number one, they know your expectations, and number two, you can get out if you have to. And these are the stories. So everything in business that I've found working with entrepreneurs for 30 years, if you start at the end, if you envision the end, whether that end is having to fire somebody or promote somebody or break up a partnership or add more partners, let's tell the story and then we'll go back and create the foundation so that that story is not only possible, it's inevitable. And that's what Fire Aim Ready Management teaches. Now, Elliot, I happen to know um, how far back that that teaching goes for you. Um, you in fourth grade were asked by your teacher to write <laughs> your obituary, right? Yeah. And um, I, so even though I do a lot of these interviews, I do find some time to prepare. But your teacher asked you to do uh, your obituary, and then you know, fast forward to you becoming a lawyer. One of the first things every trial lawyer learns to do is write your closing argument first. So that. Is, yes. goes way back to the fourth grade, doesn't it? It does. I just, um, I guess I'm a little bit slow on the uptake because from that assignment in fourth grade to even learning as a trial lawyer to write my closing argument first, it didn't occur to me that this was an entire um, methodology for the successful entrepreneurs I've seen. Not just figure out what the end is, but tell the story, write the script. And so that's what I walk through in, in the Fire Aim Ready series. You know, you've uh, you've been not only growing your own practice but helping entrepreneurs for a long time. What, are, what do you think are some of the most common mistakes that small to mid-sized businesses seem to make over and over again? I think that they, um, much like I did, I, I think that they fail to understand that you can't take in everything that walks through the door. It's got to be a fit. Um, in other words, what you do, you, you had said this in, your, in the very first five minutes of our conversation. You've got to be authentic. You've got to be true to yourself. And the way I think of it is it's what you put out there has to be like a dog whistle, where 99% of the people out there won't even hear it. But that 1% will sit up and take notice because that's the exact frequency that appeals to them. And... If you don't, if you just want to be homogenous, if you want to be like everybody else, or you're worried about keeping the lights on, which, believe me, I get, or making payroll, which, believe me, I get, you're, and you take everything that comes in the door, you're going to come down to average, average work for average clients, and your company will do average. Mm. But to be better... You've got to go to fit, be who you are, show your passion, be authentic. And it sounds so cliche, but I've never seen anything that, that surpasses that for advice for entrepreneurs. You know, so many um, – there, there, I mean, the world is filled. I mean, the, the world, the community, the population, attorneys, whatever uh, niche you want to talk about or industry you want to talk about, it is overflowing with average. I mean, you know, one, one yeah. of the – common uh, expressions we hear these days is uh, the top 1% or top 10% or whatever it is, but those are people who are doing exceptionally well, and you 
could argue or, or highlight why some of those reasons are. But by and large, the vast majority of people in any given industry are doing average, and that's because, as I said earlier, I think my opinion, they're just looking around, look, looking left and right, as you say, uh, and looking at what other people are doing, so well, I'm going to do that then. That must be the way we do it. Yeah. How can – without – Without having to crash and burn, which is always an impetus for, okay, I better do something different, what are some of the things business owners can do to, first of all, make better decisions and, and kind of get out of their own way and, and get outside the box a little bit? I think that you have to first associate with the people um, you want to become. In other words, find successful people, whether they're in your niche or they just have something to teach, and associate with them. You know, Two years ago, I'm embarrassed it's that recent, but two years ago, I made a resolution, and that was to stop worrying about the contacts in my CRM that could possibly bring me more business and really focus on the people that I love talking to, that have an excitement about them, that where I sit back and I don't even know what the, where the conversation is going to go, but I learn something, and, and see if I can arrange a regular time to talk to those people. Um, so you surround yourself with that, and some sometimes it's structured like a mastermind group, which I think are wonderful. Um, sometimes it's a mentor. Sometimes it's just improving your network and actively working that. But I think that's one of the things. The other thing uh, that I think is very important is that you've got to avoid the temptation for speed. Our our Uber economy has prized speed. If if I want to, I could write a new book and have it up on Amazon in, what, 10 days, 5 days, you know, maybe over the holiday weekend. It doesn't mean it's edited. It doesn't mean it looks professional. It doesn't mean it's good. It doesn't mean it has a message. It doesn't mean it serves people or has value. But I could put it up there. Um, you can do that with a blog. You can do that with a podcast. The, the barriers to entry have been lowered, but that means that it's all the more important to stick to standards. And so I guess I'll close, you know, my my remarks with this that core values, whatever they are to you, core values only mean something if you stick to them when it's inconvenient. You know, I anybody can tell the truth when the truth is, yes, I did win the race. Yes, I did tag the runner out. Yes, I was the hero of the game. Anybody can tell the truth then. But if your core value is authenticity, if it's high standards, if it's impeccable work, the only time that means something is if you stick to that when it's inconvenient. And I yeah. find a lot of entrepreneurs don't. That's very powerful. You know, I'm friends with a guy named Ed Rush, and Ed's um, mom um, was a women's basketball coach at an all-girls school at the time called Immaculata, and they actually made a movie about her. And Ed's father was an NBA uh, referee for years. And I heard him speak once, and this really goes to uh, integrity and when it's not convenient. There was a very, very, very close call at a at a ball game, and the the, there was, the refs were, like, looking at each other, like, who saw it, who saw it, who saw it? And nobody really saw it 100% clarity, and I, I forget the name of the ball player, but um, it, it was, this goes back, like, 30 years. But he, he turned to the guy, and he says, was there a foul or not? And he goes, no, there wasn't. And it was against his team or it was for his team he stood up and said mm -hmm. he goes this guy has always told the truth and he made that call i wish i can give credit to the ball player but you know 
like in the 70s. But it was one of those things where, you know, he, he had established himself time and time again as a man of integrity and character. And when the chips came down and nobody kind of knew what was going on, he told the truth, even if, even though, you know, it might have gone better if he'd said either no or didn't yeah. see it or whatever. I think that's really what it's all about, you know. I tell my team, I said, you know, because listen, when you deal with with you know hundreds of members we got and things like that, I says not everybody's going to be pleasant. I said I will tolerate a lot. These are our paying customers, and sometimes they get demanding and this that. I will tolerate everything except disrespect, and so don't disrespect us. And you know we're, we're you know just and always operate with full integrity. And I think yeah. everything else will will take care of itself. And, and just real quickly, I'll give you a more recent example if you wanted to cite that in one of your talks. Sure. If you, if you look up on YouTube the Australian Open, tennis, the Australian Open, and put in something like reversed call or something like that, it happened, I think it was last year, but an American was playing, I believe it was an Australian player, and the American served and the, um, no, the Australian served, um, no, I'm sorry. The American served, and the and it was called a, as a um, a fault, meaning it was a point for the Australian player. And the Australian yelled across the American, "You might want to challenge that call." And mm-hmm. the American looks at him and said, "What?" He goes, "You challenged the call. It was actually in. It hit the line." And the American said, "Are you serious?" And the guy says, "Yeah." He says, "Okay." And he says to the to the umpire, "I challenged the call." And the umpire says, "Okay." So the crowd is kind of buzzing with this, and they put it up on the on the screen, and they did the slow motion, and darned if that ball didn't hit the line, which meant it was in. It was against the Australian mm. player, and it was just a very powerful moment because the Australian player knew there was something more important than that point. Loved it. Love that. Well, if uh, as my uh, I, I somebody some one of my friends in my church told me this says no matter how many people are on Jim, you're always playing to an audience of one. <laughs> so even if you think nobody's watching what you're doing, you better <laughs> right. better check that thinking. Elliot, this this oh man, this interview went by so fast, and really um, I'd love to have you back on the program and and talk some more. But how can my listeners? Um, first of all, where's your book available, and and what's a good place for them to connect with you? Uh, the book is available on Amazon. Uh, you can look up Fire Aim Ready or just my my last name, Wagenheim, W-A-G-O-N-H-E-I-M. And they can connect with me. You know, I always respond to Twitter. That's probably the easiest way, at Wagenheim. You know, Facebook is, is Farsighted Business or the Wagenheim Law Group. So there are a lot of ways, but if you look at me on look me up on Amazon under, under Wagenheim or Fire Aim Ready, you'll find where I am. Awesome. Elliot, thank you so much. It was great connecting with you again for second time in a couple of weeks here. Thank you, Jim. I really enjoyed it. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special episode of Stick Like Glue Radio with Elliot Wagenheim. Remember, Stick Like Glue is the only podcast dedicated to helping you create an everlasting bond with your customers so they stay longer, spend more, and refer more. My name is Jim Palmer. I'm the Dream Business Coach, and I'm committed to helping you build a more profitable business faster. Watch for another great episode of Stick Like Glue Radio this time next week. Until then, keep taking action, keep moving forward, and don't ever, ever, ever give up. Now go out there and do something nice for somebody today. Take for care, more information and free resources on how to create your dream business, connect with Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, at www.getjimpalmer.com. And be sure to check out Dream Business Coach TV, powerful two-minute videos filled with Jim's unique smart marketing and business-building advice. 
see them all at www.dreambizcoach.tv. That's www.dreambizcoach.tv. See you next week for more Stick Like Glue Radio. And remember, success is not only possible, you deserve success.